Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And for the listeners, I'm going to start today by giving you a, a quick break here. I want you to take a minute and go collect two things, a pen and some paper. Our podcast today is one of those during which I think you, you're going to want to jot down some notes as our guest will have a great deal of valuable, useful information to share, uh, as she always does. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell back for another edition of our podcast. And while you're getting set up to, to jot some things down, let me give you a quick heads up on, on what's coming up and why I suggest that. My guest today is Heather Walzer, one of the outstanding attorneys at Lavelle Law Limited. And, you know, whenever Heather is here, we all benefit from the information she shares, and, and today is going to really be no exception, I'm sure. Uh, just about a month or so ago, maybe a little over, um, we had one of our visits with Heather, and she was explaining why it's not in your best interest to handle estate planning uh, on your own. And today we're going to follow up on that as we share some information on, on the key tools in an estate plan. And I, I think you'll see very clearly why experience guidance from someone like Heather is so valuable in this process. So let's get right to it. Hopefully you're ready. And let me say hello to Heather. So nice to have you back. Welcome back, Heather. Well, thanks, Jim. It's always a pleasure to be here. Um, we have discussed estate plans in the past. So let's just pick up with the thought that uh, a good estate plan does more than just distribute your assets after you die. Uh, give us a quick reminder of what really gets covered in, an, in a sound estate plan. Yeah, well, what you've raised, Jim, is a really common misconception that the whole point of this is just to deal with what happens to your stuff when you pass away. But in reality, a comprehensive and good estate plan deals with that, but it also um, governs or helps deal with any period in which you are incapacitated and can't manage your own affairs, whether due to an illness or an injury or anything else that prevents you from handling your own health and property affairs. Okay, and we're going to talk about how that happens today. Uh, we'll get into some of the various components of an estate plan. But for many people, that just begins and ends with a will. Now, in reality, isn't a will necessary, but probably by itself really an insufficient item? Yeah, that's absolutely right. For the most part, everyone out there under Illinois law should have a will uh, for a whole host of reasons, one of which is, like we said, to talk about what happens to your assets and to govern your assets when you pass away. In addition, it's vitally important if you have children who are minors so that you can provide for a guardian to care for those children if you are to die prematurely. Um, so that's it, it's a very important part of the comprehensive estate plan that we mentioned before. The will is crucial, and everyone, everyone needs it. And you mentioned in the past, if I recall correctly, that uh, what you want to do with some of these documents is avoid probate. And can you just, we don't really talked about what that means. Can you give us just a quick definition and why we want to sidestep that with documents if we can? Yeah, that's exactly right. So probate is a process whereby a court has to oversee the distribution of someone's assets after they die. So if you have a will, and only a will, in many, many cases, depending on the size of your assets and the type of assets that you have, the will is not enough on its own to make sure that your assets go to the right place after you die. What has to happen is a court has to oversee that process 
in a probate proceeding. So essentially, a lawyer would have to be hired. The lawyer would go into court, open the probate proceeding, and the judge would oversee the distribution of all of the assets. So it's a little more complicated than people realize. Uh, and it, it, again, it involves the court, which in some cases, in some cases, it's a fine. It's a fine process, and it, it goes smoothly and easily, but in others, it can really needlessly complicate a process that doesn't need to be if you plan with the appropriate documents. Okay. Now, let, let's kind of shift our focus here to one of the things I think we want to talk about today. Uh, it's a term we've heard before, and it's, it's a living trust. Um, this begins to get into a number of different areas that extend beyond the will. Tell us what a living trust is and, and what it provides. Yeah, a living trust, which you're absolutely right, um, it's kind of a buzzword. A lot of my clients come in and say, I've heard of this. What does it do? Well, it's it's a legal entity that is created during your lifetime to manage your property. And what's great about it is, like a will, it manages your property after your death, and it governs the distribution of those assets after your death. But in addition to that, it governs your property during your lifetime as well. So the way the process works is you create a living trust that lays out your wishes for your property and it says exactly what you want to happen to your property. Um, and during your life, you transfer your assets into that trust. And in most cases, during your lifetime, you act as the trustee. So it doesn't change your rights to the property in any way. You can save your money. You can cash out and go spend everything in Vegas. You can do whatever you, you would normally do. It's just that from a legal standpoint, it is held in the trust, which is great because it manages your assets after your death. And to tie into our theme of what a comprehensive estate plan does in terms of protecting not just the loved ones you leave behind, but you as well, a trust, when your assets are in it, protects you because if you become incapacitated, as we talked about, the successor trustee can merely step in and manage your assets seamlessly without court involvement, and really without any hiccups. Um, so that's an, another great benefit of the living trust. Um, an, additional, um, an additional benefit of that living trust is the probate process that we just talked about. If you have a properly created and funded, and when I say funded, I mean your assets are in the trust, a properly created and funded living trust, there will be no need for probate after your death. Okay, big advantage there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, now let's uh, – just a couple of quick questions just to clarify because sometimes these concepts and terms kind of fly by people here. When you talk about funding the trust or, or you know, moving your assets, all you're really doing is renaming those assets. So we're talking about maybe uh, a bank account or your mortgage. You simply, rather than have it in your name, it's in the name of the trust, and that, that's really the only change. Is that right? That's exactly right. It's, it's basically a paperwork drill. Um, you need to just contact your bank have them give you the appropriate forms to fill out, and the name of your account is changed from Jim Mitchell Individual to the Jim Mitchell Living Trust. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then one, real quick again, you, I want to be real clear. You mentioned it previously, and I, I was going to ask you about it anyway. It doesn't change anything while, while you're living. I mean, in terms of your ability to sell stock, buy stock, uh, spend money, buy property, sell property, it's just it's in a different name, but you still have no restrictions on what you do. That's exactly right. And um, your beneficiaries, you know, your, your surviving spouse or children, family members, whomever is to be getting the property after your death, they, in the, the vast majority of cases with a revocable live or living trust, they have no rights to the property until after you have passed away. 
So it's absolutely yours to do what you want with it during your lifetime. Okay, great. Well, we're talking to, to Heather Walzer. Um, as you can tell, uh, Heather provides so much valuable information whenever she's here. So let me suggest that you visit LavelleLaw.com uh, or browse through the Lavelle Law listings on Blog Talk Radio or even iTunes and download a few of her previous appearances uh, so that you can uh, get as much information as possible. You can also follow her on Twitter at HGWalzer and uh, periodically read her blogs on patch.com. So a lot of places you can continue to get this information outside of the podcast. Now, Heather, let, let's talk about the living part of a living trust. What what other documents should uh, help fill out this area of an estate plan? Well, you know, as we said, a will is something that everyone needs. So even if you have a living trust document, we always suggest that you have a will as well. And the purpose of the will, uh, which we call a pour-over will, when you already have a living trust, is to basically be a backstop so that if there is some asset that you didn't move into your trust or retitle to your trust during your life and then you pass away, the will will say, anything that's not already in my trust, put it in my trust. And I'll give you an example. Uh, There's no legal reason that you can't transfer your car, for example, to your living trust during your life. However, it makes it exceedingly difficult to register the vehicle with the state of Illinois, not surprisingly. Uh, So we typically advise people to leave their cars, their vehicles, in their individual name. So the will would simply, at death, say, all of my other assets, including my car, go into my trust at this time, and it makes it a just seamless process. So the will, the trust, then, as I mentioned before, protecting yourself for periods of incapacity is vitally important. And there are two main documents we use to accomplish that goal. They are both powers of attorney, but the first is a power of attorney for property. The second is a power of attorney for health care. Now, the power of attorney for property is not just limited to real estate, but it, it, it's really more than that. It governs your financial assets, but it also empowers the agent that you name in the financial power of attorney or the, pro- the property power of attorney to manage anything that's a financial-type affair. So if you're in the hospital, incapacitated, and there's a problem with your cable bill and it needs to be paid, the agent under your power of attorney for property can call Comcast or you know Verizon, whomever it is, and deal with them on your behalf. So it doesn't just govern real estate or investments or strictly monetary accounts. It governs any of that type of stuff. So that's power of attorney one. Power of attorney two is the power of attorney for healthcare. Very similar to the power of attorney for property, but instead of governing finances and those type of assets, it governs your healthcare. So if you are in a coma or otherwise incapacitated and a decision needs to be made about your healthcare, your agent will be the person your doctor looks to to make those decisions. So two vitally important documents, and with those, we, uh, we, we feel very confident that in any period of incapacity, your needs will be taken care of. And just to, to define those, you mentioned an agent. Uh, they don't need to be the same person. If you have these separate documents, you can have different people, one taking care of your finances, one representing your health decisions. Absolutely correct. I see that all the time. Um, you know, if... if someone has multiple children and maybe one child is an accountant and one child is a nurse. It's a pretty clear 
choice as to who to choose. And they, you're absolutely right. They do not need to be the same person. And, and in some cases, the person who is best equipped to deal with your finances may not be the same person who is best equipped to make decisions about your health care. You know, it would seem one of the great advantages of having a living trust is that, you know, should some life-changing event occur, some some tragedy of some sort, it immediately provides a plan that can be enacted so that the people close to you don't have to make decisions under duress when, when there's great stress. You know, it seems like that part of the process of establishing an estate plan would, you know, be then talking to those various agents and trustees about the plan before anything happens, say, this is how I'm setting it up, everything's ready for you, make sure they understand it. And at that point, it, it almost becomes automatic at a critical time. Absolutely, and that, that's a really, really great point. And one of the things I like to explain to my clients is that when you're asking an agent under a power of attorney or a successor trustee to step in and act, you're not really asking them to make the decision themselves. You are asking them to do what you want and to implement your wishes. And it, it frequently relieves some of my clients' stress about the process to know that, oh, okay, well, all we're trying to do is make my wishes and my intentions clear to the people who are going to be acting in those fiduciary capacities, your agent or your successor trustee, and it helps to take some of the stress and the worry out of the process. Mm-hmm. And then just quickly here before we go from a, from a cost perspective, while establishing and filing these documents, you know, costs some money and, and probably takes time for people to kind of get everything together. It, boy, it seems safe to say that both of those investments seem really, really small compared to the time and financial impact of needing them and not having them later. Absolutely right, and especially from the standpoint of there is a bit of an investment cost at the at the front end for preparing these documents now. Unfortunately, on the back end, if you don't have them, the cost is multiplied. It's it's much higher, and there's much more need for court involvement. Um, for example, if, if you become incapacitated without an existing power of attorney for property, there can be a necessity that a, a guardianship proceeding, which is another very costly and time-consuming court proceeding, would have to be opened. And at a time when you are incapacitated and going through a health crisis or an injury or dementia, Alzheimer's, your family has enough on their plate without having to also get into a, a court proceeding to try to deal with your affairs. So while you're right, there is an upfront cost to getting all these affairs in order. The benefit is really multiplied by not having to deal with those things when you're in a crisis situation. Well, a lot of great information as always. And if one of these days I'm just going to get smarter and when I know Heather's going to be on, we'll we'll try and schedule 20 or 30 minutes instead of the 15 we're usually allotted here. So thanks very much to uh, Heather Walzer for joining us. And I certainly invite all of you to learn more about her practice by visiting labellelaw.com. A lot of information there, and as I said, here on Blog Talk Radio, you can catch any of her past podcasts as well. We're out of time. Thanks so much for listening.